Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is from 1 Peter chapter 1, entitled Trial uh, Trial of Faith. And feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you'll find archived Shabbat messages, blog posts, and you can subscribe to those in the subscribe bar, uh, and you'll get those weekly. And you can also find links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and Okay, Shabbat Shalom. We are in First Peter, chapter one. Uh, we'll read it, and then we'll go through it. Um, that's where I've been reading lately, and um, I don't know. It's just really good. I felt like it. You know, it's I say this all the time, but you read something again and you notice things that you never noticed before, or maybe it's just the uh, where you're at in life and it just kind of strikes you and it's very pertinent. So, one of the verses we're going to read here is um, uh, he talks about the trial of faith and and sojourning and. Um, I don't know, it's just very relevant things because he's writing to the believers in the diaspora, you know, as we're going to read here throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, you know, all over the place. So he's writing, you know, because Yeshua has come, he's died, he's risen again, and now it's basically, he's writing to basically us, you know, those who are in the diaspora, in this holding pattern, and how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do until that return, and what's happened, and he kind of recaps it a little bit. So, so we'll read it, and then we'll get into it. And and he and he 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 says a lot of little things that are um, kind of quick, you know, quick in passing, but but have a lot of um, have a lot. It says a lot, I guess. And so we're gonna dive into those little things a little bit. Nothing too earth-shattering, or and probably not even new, but good nonetheless. So, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Yeshua Messiah, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification in the spirits, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua Messiah, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice." Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, 
though it be tried with fire, might be found in, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yeshua Messiah, who, having not seen, ye love, in whom, through, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Messiah, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Messiah and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that, uh, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desired to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it, was, it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of person and if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Messiah as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily for, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God and raise him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing that you've been purified, Seeing, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of, incorruptible, of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So, <clears throat> a, great, um, a great chapter. Really, really good. So, let's kind of go through it and we'll kind of stop as we go and I'll, I'll make a few comments and um, we'll just kind of talk about it. So, so Peter, an apostle of Yeshua Messiah, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius. So, Peter, an apostle. Um, um, so, apostle, first off, he's, that basically just means sent forth. There's a lot of teaching and talk of what apostles were, were there only the 12 apostles, you know, are they? But the truth of the matter is, it's, it's not, you know, we turn it into a noun, whereas it was a verb, it was an action. He was sent forth, he was given a job by Yeshua to uh, send forth and te teach and speak the message of, of, of the gospel to, um, I think you got your cast off, um, to uh, to the world, basically. And then, so he's writing now to these strangers, those who have joined themselves unto Yeshua, unto the 12 tribes, and are uh, uh, following Yeshua and keeping the Torah. So he's writing to them as they're scattered all over the place. 
So, and then verse 2 there, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. So, elect, they're chosen by God according to the foreknowledge, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, you know, there's so much debate and talk and scholarly banter about, you know, how does one get saved? Do you have anything to do with it? You know, and how does God choose who he chooses? And the truth of the matter is, we don't really know. We just know that he has an elect, and it's according to his foreknowledge. And I don't really try to dig much deeper into it than that, because it just becomes a Pandora's quagmire of humanistic thought that ends up and trapping you, you know, it's like, oh, go down that rabbit trail, Ugh, you get trapped, go down that one, you get trapped, yeah, it's just, you know, full of snares as you get into these things, and so it's simpler just to let the scriptures, I find, let the scripture speak for itself, and be like, you know what, I don't understand it perfectly, but this is what it says, and when you, you look at the universe, and you look at life, and you look at people, and you read the word of Bible, it resonates with the nature of who we are, and it does make sense, and you can't, I can't necessarily always dictate that into clear, conscientious, you know, thoughts and conversation, but, you know, it, it, it resonates. So he, we, those who believe, those who are born again, those who are his children, uh, are elect. They're chosen by God according to his, uh, his, his foreknowledge. And that, the other thing you're, you're, you're seeing in here is this idea of, because he's writing to the strangers, those scattered 12 tribes, those who have joined themselves unto them, that they are elect. This idea of salvation, this idea of being joined, and this idea of seed um, and being born again. And, and especially as we get into the Passover season, that's what it's, it's, what it's all about. It's God brought his son Israel out of Egypt. The only ones that left was his firstborn. And so you have to be born again. It didn't matter if, you know, if you were, you had uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's DNA flowing through your veins, or if you had a mixture of it because you were from Judah, and he went and, you know, slept with whoever, and now you're a model, and, you know, it was, it was, was, my point being, it was a mixture of DNA and seed from the beginning. You know, there was, there is no pure bloodline, and um, that's why you have to be born again, because corruptible seed man's seed, what we get from Adam is, is corrupted. It can't go back into the Garden of Eden. And so the only person who can get back into the Garden of Eden is Yeshua, because he's perfect, because he died for our sins. The only one who could change that, and you have to be in him. And so this is part of all of uh, Peter's point as he talks about this. And so who does God choose? His elect. Why? How? Why? His foreknowledge. Can we understand that? No. No, we can't. So then, what does he do? Through, verse 2, sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. So he sanctifies us through, we are sanctified through sanctification of the Spirit. So we were elect through sanctification of his Spirit. So God's Spirit, as we're going to find out, that is his word. You're going to see all these terms that get used. They they're basically different actions of the same thing. That thing being God, and then different acting, uh, different actions that God takes. You, you know, the Spirit, the Son, the Father, um, all these different things. So, it's the Spirit that sanctifies us. Meaning, now that we're born again, we are being 
we're growing up, right? What does a kid do? And they, when they're born, they grow, they learn how to live, right? It's the same thing for us. It's not some earth-shattering thing. It's pretty simple. That takes instruction, though. You screw up a whole lot along the way, um, and you have to learn, and you have to grow. So unto obedience. And sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua Messiah, grace unto you, peace be multiplied. So he throws in there, it seems like it, maybe it's not, it's not, but unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua Messiah. So he throws that sprinkling idea in there, the, that idea of Yeshua being that sacrifice. In the, the picture in the, excuse me, picture in the temple, they would have the sacrifice and then they would sprinkle the blood around the altar or they would sprinkle it in the Holy of Holies. And that blood is that which cleanses and makes acceptable and clean to be able to approach unto God. So it is through, it is through Yeshua's death and his blood cleansing us that, again, keep that picture of the tabernacle and the temple in your mind, that then you can enter into the presence of God. So you can't, of your own self and your own accord, in your natural state, come close to God because you get burnt up otherwise. You have to be cleansed by the blood. You have to be washed. <sighs> okay, let's keep going. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua Messiah, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead. So that phrase there, hath begotten us again. That's born again, begotten, like, again. It's this, he keeps hitting home this whole, whole idea of you were one thing, right? You were the strangers. Now you're brought in. You're grafted in. You're going to produce new fruit because you have a new seed in you. And again, you keep this idea of seed and uh, Paul talking about the adoption. You know, we're brought into God's family and we, and we now have a new father and we have a new heritage. And so we live differently because of that. Four, so, and with that, being in this new family, you get a new inheritance. Four, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So, because you're in the family of God, you, you now partake in the inheritance, those things of God. Our inheritance is no longer uh, earthly. It's going to be new heaven and new earth, basically. Five, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Um, I like this, uh, uh, the beginning part there, who I kept by the power of God through faith. So it's, it's the power of God, but through faith, you know, and we're supposed to have faith. But again, faith is not some pixie dust, flowery, woo-woo in the sky stuff it's a it's it's action it's it's uh it's a verb it's it's what we do and how we live and it's god who now gives us the strength and the power to live out our lives for him so he gives us uh, the ability to do that uh six wherein you greatly rejoice though uh though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I like this part because he kind of brings, or he addresses, shall we say, you know, up until this point, it's like, well, that sounds great, Peter. You know, I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, I'm still stuck here. I still have to deal with all my, you know, fleshly temptations. 
the world still sucks around me. Uh, awesome, you know, but that doesn't fix anything for me. You know what I mean? That's not making my life that much easier. So he says, uh, wherein ye greatly rejoice, so you're happy, yay! Though, even though, now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So there he, he uh, commiserates, shall we say, with this, this understanding, the idea that there is a heaviness about life. That, that doesn't go away, I guess it was comforting to me. He, you know, so much of at least my concept of what, you know, being saved and being born again. And even when I, you know, used to try to, I was young, I was a young kid usually and try to witness to people. It's like, if you just believe in Jesus, like everything will be great. It's like, no, everything's not great. You know, everything's hard. Everything still sucks. Everything's still difficult. There's still the heaviness. You feel that weight. And he understands that. Why? Because you're still having to endure manifold temptations because you're still in your fleshly body and you're still in the world. But that's okay. He understands that. He knows that we go through that. Why? So that the trial in seven, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yeshua Messiah. It's kind of that same idea of... uh, the things you tend to look back on and remember the most were the things you worked hardest for or the things you struggled the most for, you know. The amazing thing about hiking the Grand Canyon was it was, it was difficult. You know, you hiked all the way down to the bottom and you had to hike all the way out of the top. And it was, yes, it was beautiful, but that sense of achievement and struggle and it was hard and it kept going and you're hungry and weak and tired and thirsty, uh, but that's what creates the memory, right? Or, you know, of all the times we went disc golfing in Arizona, the one time I remember best is when it, you know, it poured rain on us, you know? It's like, you know, and at the time you're like, this just is awful. Why are we doing this, you know? But then, but then that's what you remember. So where am I going with this? Oh, the trial of your faith, right? It, it, the trial, you know, if God just zapped everything perfect, where would the meaning be? You know, without struggle, there's, there's, there isn't really any meaning. And that's just the way I don't, you know, we don't want the struggle. And it's heavy because of the temptation, but that trial of your faith, you know, gives you, gives you meaning. And, it, and it, because it says, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. So that trial... That heaviness, that temptation uh, that we go through, you know, we need to let it be found under praise, honor, and glory. You know, why? Because you succeed, right? Because you persevere. And, and that means something. Because you go through that life, you go through the heaviness, you go through the trial, you go through the temptation, and you come out the other side, tested, and you, you know, it's like, yeah, you did something you know, through the help of God, right? It's not us who do it all, but um, there's honor and there's glory and there's praise, you know, things that you don't, you don't see much in our society anymore, you know, the idea of honor and glory. Um, All right, let's keep going here. Uh, At the appearing of Yeshua Messiah, eight, whom having not seen ye love, and whom, uh, though now ye see him not, not believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. So looking forward to that. 
9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So the end of our faith, the end of our work is the salvation of our souls. So, you know, there's this idea of being, of, of, of being saved, being born again from, you know, our, our Adamic state unto uh, God's family. But then the ultimate fulfillment of salvation does not come until uh, the resurrection, the new heaven and the new earth, when God makes all things new. And so that, that is the final culmination of, I think as Paul talks about, you know, you are being saved. So it's, it's part of an ongoing process as we are, uh, uh, you know, we're being, we're sanctified and then we're being, you know, purified and growing. All right, nine or ten, of which so, so then he kind of not switches gears, but he, he keeps going here. Of which salvation, the salvation he's been talking about, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So, you know, he's tying it back to the prophets. This isn't new. This has been foretold. This is uh, this is what is supposed to happen. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Messiah, which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glory that should follow. I, I, I never noticed this right here. Uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Messiah, which was in them. Wait a minute. Well, now, he didn't get dispensational class 101, did he? So I got, you know, you should have missed that on Peter. God's going to have to redact that statement. <laughs> so obviously the Holy Spirit was in the prophets, you know, uh, because, well, you know, it's just a ridiculous, you know, when you start to really kind of pull back and, and take a bird's eye view, bird's eye view, view of the scriptures and the world and the idea to think that there was quote unquote, no Holy Spirit before um, Acts chapter two, is just ludicrous. Or that he just popped up on the scene like, you know, whack-a-mole here and there. I mean, give me a break. It's ridiculous. You can't, you can't, you cannot, um, missing the word I want. You can't subjugate, sub, uh, substantiate that from the scriptures. You can't, you can't substantiate that. <clears throat> Where am I? Okay, yeah. Thank you. Twelve. Unto whom it was revealed, these prophets, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. Thirteen. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. So now he's, he's telling, he's giving them marching orders. He's giving them instructions. So you, you've been saved. You've been transformed. You're in the kingdom of God now. You have, uh, you know, you're going to endure trials and temptations and, and issues. But here's what we need to do now, man. Uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope unto the end. So first thing he goes after is the loins of your mind, you know, be able to be ready for action. You know, everybody probably here knows the girding up your loins, they would 
they 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 wore kind of robe-ish type garments, and if you wanted to go run, you'd, you'd kind of wrap them up so you could run. And so he's saying the same thing. You need to prepare your mind to be ready for action. You know, I, I don't know exactly what that means, but, you know, this is, this is you gotta, you got to be mentally prepared for, for, for life, for this um, journey that we're going on and the things that we're going to have to do and endure. So he's saying, you know, toughen up. Where, 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 uh, 13. Be sober. Um, probably means, you know, literally, literally and figuratively. I mean, we're not supposed to, you know, get drunk. Uh, but also, you know, in, within your mind, you need to be sober. Not under the influence of foreign contaminants, maybe, you know? So protect what goes in and, and be, again, prepared for action. If you're, if you're, you know, if you allow things into your mind that stunt you or add confusion or whatever, pick your thing, you're not going to be able to be used and do and live how you're supposed to be do. You're not you're going to be ready for action. And hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lesson and ignorance. So he's giving, you know, he's giving you palpable act, action uh terms and bringing it again back into this idea of the family as obedient to children. Remember, he's writing to the strangers, but he's saying, as obedient children, you're now in the family of God now. Yeah, you're strangers living in the diaspora, but you're part of this family with, with new orders. Uh, four, 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That doesn't, that, that doesn't necessarily or only, it's not limited to what you say. Conversation being how you live your life and what you do, your manner of action and, what, and how you live. So live in accordance with that which is inside you. 17. Or uh, 16. Because it was written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So this idea that God is a judge, and there is judgment for what you do. You know, he's speaking to, the, to these children. If you call on the Father, who without respect, uh, he judges man, every man according to his work. He does, he's no respecter of persons, meaning we, we talked about, I talked about this with the kids recently. It's like, which unfortunately in today's day and age, our justicism is a respecter of persons. In other words, depending on who you are, you might get different treatment under the law. Whereas the law is supposed to be blind. Over in Exeter, on top of the town building, there's the woman holding the scales of justice and the books of the law, and she's blindfolded because uh, justice, judgment, is blind. And so, meaning that it doesn't matter who's standing in front of you, you're to be judged according to the law. And so God is not a respecter of persons, meaning he doesn't let you off because of who you are. You know, the, the, he, he is a righteous judge, an equal judge. So pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Keep that close, understand it. 18. Um, yeah, this one.
Oh, I wanted to go. I want to go back here. I forgot. To, maybe I did highlight it, but if I didn't, back in verse seven, uh, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold and silver. To be tried with fire, be found of praise. That I just loved that phrase. The trial of your faith. That's basically what our lives are, right? You know, he's. What I love about this too is he's not like sugarcoating it with fluff and oh, you're in Messiah now and it's all glorious pixie dust and rainbows and gold streets and rainbows and and, and amazing you know ponies and everything. It's you know it's the trial of your faith. And what was the other one? The heaviness or something? Yeah, heaviness through the manifold temptations. Yeah. You, be, you are in heaviness, though you may be in heaviness of manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith. You know, it's, it's real. The, the life that we live is a trial. And so our faith, how we live, what we do is on trial, right? Because God, and, and God is the judge of that. Oh, I just found those concepts and those phrases really, really cool and really, really interesting. So, He's judging us uh, past the time of your sojourning in fear. 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from, the vain, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Messiah and as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this precious blood of Messiah, like he talked about earlier on, idea that uh, the only way to draw near unto God is to be purified, to be transformed through this new birth to be one of his sons. And so um, you're, you're redeemed with, with something perfect because only God you know, can take the... He, he can, he's the only one who can be the substitute or be the perfect, take the penalty for that separation between mankind and God. Mankind in its fallen state, is just is not capable of redeeming itself back onto God because it's in a fallen state. There's nothing this can do. It's like energy needed to be added back into the system. It's like a car that broke down. There's a car. It broke down. The car can't make itself magically drive again. Something that the creator of that car has to put energy back into it, bring it back to life, for it to be able to do what it was originally designed to do. You know, we see these concepts all over the place. And um, I can't really stress the importance of this concept enough because our faith and everything we believe and everything that the Bible teaches hinges on that concept. That's why it's, it's, from, it's from the beginning when God closed Adam and Eve with those animal skins all the way until the end of Revelation, you have the perfect slain lamb up there, the lamb that was slain. This concept is all the way through, and it gets distorted in Christianity, and it gets hyper-distorted or altogether uh, ignored uh, in Judaism. And so you need to root yourself. It's, it's, I don't know how to be more you know, emphasize this more, but you need to root yourself in this understanding. And if you don't have clarity in what salvation means or in what being born again means, I know these terms get overused and thrown around, but they come from the scripture. And 
And it, you need to attach them through the whole context of the scripture so that you can have clarity in your own mind so that when someone, when snakes that are really smart and really clever and really smooth with their words come along and manipulate and distort um, your, you know, your more, you know, frayed mooring lines aren't cut really easily. Uh, is that making sense? Um, because this is the foundational thing of our faith. Where am I? How are you on to that? I don't know. Uh, yeah. The precious blood of Yeshua Messiah's lamb without blemish and while it was pot. Yeah. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So again, yeah, really important. Who was foreordained before the foundations of the world. It's always been God's plan. He knew what he would have to do. Who by him do believe in God that raised you up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and raised him up from the dead, gave him glory that your faith might and hope might be in God. So, yeah, he's saying basically what I just said. Everything hinges on this. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So this is a really interesting, it's not the right word, interesting or noteworthy verse. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. I wouldn't say there's a lot of unfeigned love among the brethren these days. <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of dissension and um, infighting and backbiting and, and uh, you know, argumentation. Why? Because the flesh, the, uh, the heaviness of temptations, the trials of our faith, all these things are still ongoing. And so, because of that, we, we don't all get along as we should, and we don't all love each other as we should. But, but, but Yeshua being the perfect example of how to live out the Torah for us, as, as you've said, Dad, is the example of how we're to interact with our brethren and, and love them. He wasn't PC everywhere with everyone and what he did. But he lived a life of love for the brethren and somehow navigated those chaotic waters. Obviously, he was perfect, but um, in dealing with people. And we need to somehow draw that, uh, those lessons in his spirit that is in us to be able to live out that same way with the brethren so that we can have love. And I'm not talking about kumbaya, hold hands and sing around campfire love. I'm talking about treating and living with and engaging with each other as we should properly according to the word of God, because he's going to get into the word of God here. That you love another with, with, a, with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of incorruptible seed, but incorruptible. So again, this idea being born again because we are all he's saying basically you're all in the same family now you know these are your brothers and sisters get along right and it's like yell at my kid you're supposed to treat them of all people better than everyone else and what who do we tend to treat the worst those family those closest to us right and that's why it's the same thing in the i want to swear in the messianic movement 
you know, or the Hebrew roots, or Christianity, or whatever. You know, it's, you know, we tend to treat each other the worst. And he's saying, you're, you know, you're born again. You're all together in this, supposedly. You all suppose I have the same corruptible seed in you, incorruptible, being born again. So we've been born again. We're this new family uh, of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So this permanent uh, immoral thing that binds us all together is what has it's it's the the blood of the family, you know, because family's really all you have, as as we like to say. And so you, we need to love each other fervently. Doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, again kumbaya all the time with everyone, but you know, family sticks together. You know, a good, um, I think a a great illustration of that, though not perfect, obviously, and I don't know a lot of these people intimately, and I'm sure there's all their, there's probably all the same family dynamics, but you see like, especially within the Spanish communities, it's always huge families, right? Extended families, but they're all together. They'll go have a huge cookout and there'll be like 40 of them. And they, cousins and cousins, cousins, and they all stay in touch and, uh, you know, that's kind of the culture. And so that needs to be our culture. You know, they don't all agree with everything everybody's doing, but hey, man, your family, you know, we take care of family. And so that needs to be our uh, MO as well. So why? 24, for all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower therefore falleth away. But the word of Yehovah, that's what binds us together. That's what we're, what, what the whole point of our mission is, endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So it's our mission. It's who we are. It's what transforms us. It's what holds us together. The word of God is all we have. Literally, really, when you boil it down, it's the only thing we have. It's what everything is based on obviously. And so it is that thing that we have to hold most dear. It's the DNA that gives us the family that we have. And so that is the word of God is that thing, which our family, God's family, those who, you know, are elect are, we rally around it and we protect it with our lives. Um, and if, if, uh, and if somebody wants to come after that, the Word of God, then, you know, I wonder, you know, I start to question, are they an imposter in the family? You know, because Paul and, you know, the writers of the New Testament, they told us, you know, grievous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock, even of your own. And so, you know, we have to be uh, on guard to protect the family. That's part of what the loving the brethren is, so... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, this chapter, and I pray that um, you'll use your spirit in us just to help us to learn from it, grow in you, continue to be transformed um, more into the image of Yeshua. And I just thank you for Shabbat. Uh, Give us a good week and help us just to be a light for you. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.
Mighty warriors around.